Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Summer in the Gospels. This summer, we're spending our Sunday mornings in the Gospels, which are the first four books in the New Testament. In each passage, Jesus teaches an important lesson about what it means to follow Him. When we read these scriptures, it will help us learn more about Jesus and how to help us follow Him. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. If you were around in 1989, you may remember the motion picture Glory. If not, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It starred Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman, and Matthew Broderick. And Glory tells the true story of the first all-black regiment to fight for the Union Army during the Civil War. It was the 54th Regiment from Massachusetts, and it was made up of a ragtag company of inexperienced volunteers to fight for the cause of freedom. Now, not surprisingly, these soldiers were not valued by their white colleagues, uh, and initially they weren't even issued guns or uniforms or allowed to fight. They were given non-combat posts. But when Colonel Robert Shaw, played by Matthew Broderick, came along, he took command of these men, and he worked to get them equal status. Eventually, they were outfitted with weapons and uniforms, and they were allowed to fight. But there's a pivotal scene early in the movie that we see that that gives us a sense of what was going on and how important this was to these volunteer soldiers. They were going through basic training, and one evening, Colonel Shaw receives an ominous letter from President Lincoln. And though it's late in the night and it's in the middle of a downpour, He wants to read the letter to the troops. So he has them mustered, and they assemble in the midst of this downpour. And as they stand there, Colonel Shaw reads this letter. And this is what he says. In accordance with President Lincoln's wishes, you men are advised that the Confederate Congress has issued a proclamation. As he gazes out into the sea of black and brown faces, the colonel continues, any Negro taken at arms against the Confederacy will immediately be returned to the state of slavery. Any Negro taken in a uniform of the Union Army will be summarily put to death. Once again, he looks out at his men, many of whom are freed or who are runaway slaves, and they cherish their freedom. Shaw continues reading the proclamation. Any white officer taken in the command of Negro troops shall be deemed as inciting servile insurrection and shall likewise be put to death. Now, assuming if not most of or all of his volunteer soldiers will not want to continue serving, Shaw looks up from the letter and says, I will grant a full discharge in the morning for all of those apply. After dismissing the men, he turns to Major Forbes, who is white, and says, if you're not here in the morning, I understand. One soldier who is a runaway slave turns to another soldier who's been wondering when they would get their uniforms and says, do you still want that blue uniform? 
Through that solitary stormy night, we see a soldier walking back and forth performing sentry duty in the drenching rain. We see Colonel Shaw walking in his tent, pondering what the morning will bring. At daybreak, Colonel Shaw emerges from his quarters as the bugler blows reveille and the flag is being raised. And expecting a depleted regiment, he turns to Major Forbes and says, how many are left? Major Forbes doesn't respond. So Shaw continues to walk forward to where the men are mustered and he sees the entire company standing at attention. No one has left. He gazes into their faces and says, glory, hallelujah. Now, I, before you make plans to watch that movie, I want to warn you that due to the violence, due to the language, it is rated R, okay? So full disclosure. Um, but I wanted to share this dramatized version of the real life story because it illustrates the cost of commitment. And today we're going to look at what Jesus said about the cost of commitment of being his follower. And using a phrase that was made famous by the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we're gonna look at the cost of discipleship. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptic gospels, uh, we have the words of Jesus where he defines in one sentence what it means to be his follower, to be a disciple. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Then Jesus goes on and he talks about the consequences of not denying oneself, not taking up one's cross, and not following him. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then he puts it in crystal clear context that transcends time, regardless of what century you live in. And he says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, I want to go back to that first verse, verse 24. And break it down into the three phrases that Jesus says that we're supposed to embrace if we believe in him and if we're going to follow him. So the first thing he says is deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, some Bible translators have sought to capture the meaning of denying yourself without using that phrase. So let's look at a few of those translators' works. Instead of deny yourself, some of the translations interpreted it said to give up your own way or to forget about yourself or to let Jesus lead you. And then there's the translators of the Amplified Bible. If you've ever read the Amplified Bible, you'll understand what I'm talking about. They, they have sought, and this is what they say on their website, we want to enhance the clarity of Scripture by using the latest advances in biblical research to expand and to clarify the biblical text, giving the reader a deeper understanding of Scripture. So I tell you all that because when you read through the Amplified Bible, you'll see in parentheses after many of the verses, phrases that amplify, that give you some depth of understanding the meaning in our English language. So in the Amplified Bible, it describes denying yourself in these terms. 
to set aside selfish interests, to disregard or lose sight of or to forget oneself and one's own interests. And Jesus calls us to do that, to deny ourselves. Uh, Bible teacher Christy Gambrell points out that the Greek verb translated here to deny is aparneome, and although this word can simply just mean to deny the truth of a statement, it almost always has overtones of an association or a connection to another person. Denial in the New Testament is the intentional dissociation from a relationship with a particular person. Another translation might be to disown or to renounce. So, for example, this is the verb that is used when Peter denies Jesus. He denies that he knows Jesus or has any association with him. So, self-denial then is the intentional disowning of ourself. The stepping away from relationship with ourselves as primary. Jesus is not making a statement about whether the self is bad, but about who we are most closely associated with. Who is our primary allegiance to? Is it to him or is it to self? Now, remember in verse 25, Jesus says, denying ourselves means to lose our life. So is Jesus talking about actually dying? No, he's not talking about dying. But he is talking about dying to self, dying to having to have our way all the time, dying to our will, dying to the building of our own personal kingdom. Uh, whatever that kingdom may be. It's about to whom and to what our primary allegiance is aligned to. So a, a disciple is a person who believes in and follows Jesus, and that means he or she embraces the mission that Jesus came for, which is to establish the kingdom of God, to, to share the message of Jesus with the world. So being a disciple means our primary allegiance must be to furthering the kingdom of God, which means we must put ourselves in a secondary position. We must deny ourselves to be a disciple. If you'd like to get uh, to hear testimonies of people who have committed to denying themselves to follow Jesus, I would encourage you to go to the website, I Am Second, and you'll hear stories of Christ followers who have put Jesus first in their lives. So after Jesus said, deny yourself, he said, take up your cross. So when we read this phrase, we probably think about the reality that Jesus literally took up his cross and he carried it all the way to the site of his execution. The Bible calls it Golgotha. But again, let me turn to the words of Bible teacher Christy Gambrell, who, who writes that the phrase, take up your cross, would gain a fuller meaning after the death of Jesus, but it would have meant something to the listeners of Jesus even before his crucifixion. 
because it would have meant something important because in that culture, in that day, in the first century, crucifixion was reserved specifically for offenders who had rebelled against the authorities. So to take up one's cross in that culture referred to the practice of forcing a condemned person to carry that cross beam to the site of their execution. That showed everyone that although they had rebelled against authority, now this condemned person was completely conquered and his or her last act in life would be to carry the very instrument of their death here on this earth. It was a show of complete and utter submission, though it came under duress. So a call to bear one's cross as part of following Jesus then means for us it's a call to be submitted to Christ as much as a condemned criminal was submitted to his death. It's completely surrendered to him. Now, most Bible translators, when they come to this phrase, take up your cross, really just stick to that translation, take up your cross. Uh, but a few give more explanation to that translation. For instance, Eugene Peterson, who translated the uh, version of Scripture that we know as the message, adds clarity to the meaning of the phrase by translating it to embrace suffering. And going back to the Amplified version, it, it brings meaning to the phrase take up one's cross by adding these words for clarity, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. So as Christ followers, we are called to endure whatever may come. And with that in mind, let me share with you a story of what that may look like in other parts of the world where being a follower of Jesus is not as welcomed in countries that aren't as free as this one. Haddon Robinson was a professor of theology at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and he wrote about his experience when he led a tour group to Turkey to, to view some of the churches that are spoken about in the book of Revelation. And he says, on our last night, we were in the city of Izmir, and we were having dinner at a hotel, and, and our guide, who had been in the United States for the last 10 years and who spoke English flawlessly, was eating there with us. And he began to ask us questions, Haddon said serious questions about the Christian faith. And so Haddon says, I said to him, if, if you're a follower of Islam, and if you die tonight, would you be sure you could stand in the presence of Allah? He said, no. He said, there are five things that a Muslim must do to be able to do that, and I've only done two out of the five. Haddon goes on, he said, then we began to talk about the gospel, and we talked about it long into the night. And before we left, I, I said to him, look, you're very serious about this conversation, I can tell. And I wouldn't be faithful if I didn't ask you if right now you wanted to put your trust and your confidence in Jesus. And he turned to Haddon and he said, you, you don't know what you're asking me. Do you know what would happen if I did that? 
If I announced to anybody that I was a follower of Jesus, my wife would leave me, my family would disown me, my boss would fire me, I may want to leave this country and go back to the United States, but the government would not give me an exit visa. I would give up everything, and you would go back home, and I would be left here to starve to death in my own culture, in my own home. When he wrote that story, he hadn't said, you know what, to my knowledge, I don't know if he ever accepted Christ, but he said, you know, I know followers of Jesus who have made that decision, who have taken up their cross, and they have endured all of that loss and that hardship for the sake of following Jesus. You know, as Haddon ended that story, it reminds me of how following Jesus does not guarantee any of us an easy life. Taking up your cross means you are following Jesus, and that won't always be easy. Following Jesus will mean you're not following the ways of the world. You're not following the culture. You're not following what everybody's talking about in the news and on social media. It will mean that you will sacrifice your will and your way to follow God's will and God's way. That may bring ridicule. It may bring suffering. But we have to remind ourselves that we're doing this out of love and out of obedience to the one who called us to do this and who suffered and died for us. One, one scholar writes about this. Self-denial is not merely a periodic practice. It's not something we do occasionally and then stop doing. We're called to pick up our cross and follow him. It's an entire way of life. We often speak of whether we're willing to count the cost of discipleship, but the, but the real issue is not the costliness of following Jesus. It's our willingness to follow him regardless of the cost. The greatness or littleness of the cost is no longer emphasized. Rather, all of life is to be surrendered to him. When we live for Jesus, it won't look like the rest of the world. And hopefully people will see that and understand that there's something different about us. The last phrase in that verse, after deny yourself, take up your cross, is follow me. So just to expand on the understanding of this command, I'm going to turn to the Amplified Bible translation of Jesus' command to follow him. These translations add some understanding. So to follow Jesus means believing in Jesus conforming to Jesus' example in living, to cleave steadfastly to Jesus, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of one's faith in Jesus. Following Jesus means we will get to know him and his teaching, so that means we will read the Bible and that we'll pray. It means we will give like Jesus gives giving our time, giving our talent, giving our treasures, yes, to the cause of Christ. It means we will serve others, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, like Jesus serves all people. 
It means that we will embrace community, being a part of something bigger than ourselves, will be part of the body of Christ. It means we will reach out and share with those who have yet to follow Jesus. It's embracing Jesus' calling to follow him. There's a simple reminder to help us know how to follow Jesus. And when I tell you what it is, you may think it's trite. You may think it's simplistic. But if we actually embrace the meaning of this simple reminder, it will take us deeper in our relationship with Jesus as his follower. The simple reminder is this. In all situations... And in all circumstances, whenever we come up to something that we've got to make a decision that how we're going to live through that, what, we're, what our reaction is, what we're going to say, what we're going to do, just ask yourself, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he was walking in your shoes? Now, to some of you, that sounds familiar. You know, years ago, that was turned into a... Um, uh, a bracelet, and you may have seen it, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it sort of became known, and it also became a, a little casual. But it's a powerful question. It's a powerful question that actually has a, a personal connection in my life. When, when I was uh, a 19-year-old trying to figure out life, had, having been raised uh, with a Christian family, but in my mind, if somebody said, are you a Christian? My answer would have been, yes, I go to church. Um, you know, that tells you about the depth of my understanding and, and my belief. Because being a Christian isn't about going to church. Being a Christian is about believing in and following Jesus. Thankfully, there were faithful Christ followers, including the woman who became my wife, who, who continued to share Christ with me. And the, the, the ultimate decision came to the place where I was reading a book by that very same name. Uh, not that name, but by, the, by a verse that took me to that very same question, what would Jesus do? The name of the book was called In His Steps. And the, the whole premise of this small Christian novel was there was this group of followers of Jesus, and they realized that there was more to Jesus than just doing Christian things. They needed to live their life believing in Jesus and asking themselves, what would Jesus do? if he were walking in my shoes. It comes from a verse in the book of Peter. And they began to do that, and it transformed their lives and that church and that community. And what if we lived every day asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? The reality is that may be hard. The reality is, is that that may be difficult, that may be challenging, because you'll find yourself in situations where you'll say to yourself, well, I, I, I want to do what I want to do, not what God wants to do. I, I, I know I should say something. That's what I feel like God is putting, bringing to mind, what he's prompting me to say, but I might be embarrassed if I said it. 
or if I follow through on this sense that God wants me to go over and talk to somebody, I may feel embarrassed. But we have a Savior who is stripped and beaten and crucified and died for our behalf, not embarrassed one bit, not unwilling to go to the cross for our behalf. So we need to recognize that he calls us to that same thing. That means we're going to have to push against the, uh, the downward gravitational pull that we all feel for the easy button. Remember several years ago, Staples came out with the easy button. It was a great commercial because it was really trying to promote everything they sold because they said, you know, look, putting things together and doing all this stuff can be hard, but if you come to Staples, it's like pushing the easy button and you can get it done fast. We sort of see that in our culture today. You, you know, uh, Let's face it, we all like easy. I mean, one of the things that's fashionable right now are uh, distressed jeans, jeans that may look faded, jeans that may have holes in them. They weren't worn in there. They were built into them, and uh, they're fashionable. And basically, it's sort of, uh, it's cool, it's hip, it's trendy, but it's not because you wore them so much that you wore them out. That would have been the hard way to make them look like that. I don't drive an SUV, but, I, but I've learned that there's such a thing as spray-on mud so that if you don't want to risk taking your SUV off-road and damaging it, you can go to the store and you can buy a can of spray-on mud and you can look cool like you were just out driving in the country. The easy button is attractive in so many ways. But when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, you can't just go through the motions, even though it's tempting. You know, sometimes it's tempting for us to go to church for appearance's sake instead of going there to, to realize that we're giving ourselves and our time to Jesus. Sometimes it's easy for us to think, well, you know, I'll throw something in the offering box rather than to recognize that, that Jesus calls us to trust him with a whole lot more in our giving. Sometimes we recognize that, you know, we have talents or gifts or we have time that we could use to build the kingdom of God, but I just don't want to. But at the end of our lives we'll recognize that this time that we had on here is just a, a blip on the screen of, of eternity. And the time that we had here was tiny, but the time that we'll spend with God forever in eternity will be amazing. And don't we want to know that we did everything possible in our lives as disciples to build the kingdom of God, to help people come to faith in Jesus to invest in something that will last on after us. You know, Jesus said, if anybody would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, 
and follow me. He's basically saying, I, I want you to be all in. I want the best life for you, and the best life is to be all in with me. That's what he wants for us. As I bring this message to a close, I want to give you one more verse to ponder because it speaks to what he calls us to do, a life fully surrendered to him. Jesus said, unless you are willing to take up your cross and follow me, you are not fit to be my disciples. He's called us. He's told us what to do. So we have to ask ourselves, how will we respond? How will we respond? Let me pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Lord, as we read Jesus' words, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We understand the, the, the weight and the power of that. And Lord, I pray that there will be not one person discouraged by that word from Jesus, but instead we will find that we're responding to it at some level, at some depth, and that we're beginning to take a, a, a step of trust in following and being who you call us to be. So I pray for every single person in this building that we would trust you, that we would be willing to know that and trust that you know so much more. And so we will deny ourselves and we will take up our cross and we will follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.